This talk was given by Ron Hogan Green Sensei at Zen Mountain Monastery. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order and co-director of the Zen Center of New York City. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our retreats and residency programs, visit our website at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. This koan is Case 141 from the True Dharma I, the 300 Koan Shobogenzo. It's also in the Blue Cliff Record and in the Book of Equanimity. One day, the World Honored One ascended to the teaching seat. Mahakashapa struck the table with the gravel and said, The World Honored One has just expounded the Dharma. Thereupon, the World Honored One descended from the teaching seat. So uh, this koan is uh, a memorable one for me because it's the first koan I worked with Daito Roshi on. And um, he really put me through the ringer. Um, and it's, a, it's an interesting and koan because it's actually not that difficult to understand intellectually. Uh, but to bring it alive and give it life is um, make it personal um, is a bit more challenging. And in addition, because it was his first, it was my first encounter with him in the Doksan room, uh, as they say in football, he took me deep. <laughs> um, so uh, here we are. And um, we're sitting together, trying our best to see our inherent nature, trying to see that for ourselves out of our own personal experience. And in seeing that, the implication is that this inquiry will take us into our lives, not just our sitting lives, but all of our lives. And so our work clearly is to see this for ourselves, each in our own individual way, and to live out of that understanding, and to manifest within our relative humanity, manifest our fears, our anxieties, our self-criticisms, our seeming limitations as our awakened mind. In other words, to manifest all of ourself as our awakened mind. And it, you know, it's an interesting question. How does anxiety or self-criticism uh, function in a mind that's awake and has insight versus one that doesn't. Though we may be living out of our inherent wisdom at any particular time, I'm sorry, though we may not be living out of our inherent <coughs> wisdom at any particular time, the ability to practice it is always present, no matter what the circumstances are. And this practicing it, this is 
this trying, this doing our best, this sitting, is whole and complete, just as it is. The inherent awakened mind of each of us, our Buddha mind, is a given. We are here. You are here. Because of our support by generations of realized beings who have confirmed this for themselves and out of their practice, out of their realization, have enabled us to be here in this room on our seats. No small thing. And so we too have that responsibility to practice for ourselves and much more than for each of our individual selves. And seeing this and understanding this, this is just how it is. I mean, when you see this, and you get this, it's just how it is. Just this, as it is. We're studying the teachings of the Buddha during the Sangha, the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Noble Path. And for me personally, you know, when I started practice, I really didn't pay too much attention to that. I didn't relate to it very much, other than suffering, which I related to out of my own life, not so much the Buddha's life. Um, I was just interested in doing zazen, having an awakening, and that's it. That's the ballgame, isn't it? So I didn't pay a lot of attention to Four Noble Truths. I was aware of them. Um, But they seemed very distant to me and not, especially the Eightfold Path, not particularly relevant to me. And over time, I came to realize the crucial importance of understanding these teachings as the foundation of my practice. I kind of skipped that step. And that's easy to do in Zen practice. That's the Sangha. And they began to study them both intellectually and as best I could experientially. I began to look for these teachings in my life. What I realized along the way is I had to use whatever means I could, any means I could, to study these teachings in the most personal sense. Maizumi Roshi has pointed out there are different ways of study. And he talks about this as skimming. So if you're studying something, reading something, and studying a passage, say the Four Noble Truths or the Eightfold Noble Path, there's skimming, there's memorizing, there's careful study, 
There's quiet reading. There's reading aloud. There's reading with the body. Reading with the mind. And reality reading. This last way of reading, reality reading, asks of us to be completely intimate with our reading, with our study. It's difficult to describe, difficult to explain, difficult to understand. It's, in a way, koan reading. If you've ever picked up a book of koans, uh, say the Blue Cliff Record, it just started to read through it. Uh, that's a challenge. You know, what do you do with that? You know, if it's your first exposure to koans, even if you've been practicing, you probably don't understand very much of what you're reading, and yet there's something there. And that's something a lot of importance has been attached to within the tradition, and yet it seems very opaque. And we can use all of these different ways of study and reading in our practice, and I I have. And I trust each one, because each one has helped me in studying the Dharma. Sometimes I would just make a pass at a teaching, just... Sometimes, literally, I would memorize it, or carefully try and understand it, or just stay with it, rereading it. Sometimes I chant it. I try and take it in with my body and feel it. Try and take it in with my mind. And try deeply to become it. These ways of study also apply to encountering the Dharma teachings as in a Dharma talk, a manda, face-to-face teachings, and other crystallized and pointed moments in our life when we can come alive and truly meet our being with no space between what we're encountering and ourself. So they seem to be special moments And again, with each of those aspects of study, there's many ways we can approach it, just as Maizumi Roshi listed. So in our study, we use what we can, and we have to use where we are as well. We have to appreciate where we are, where our mind is, and what the circumstances are at this time. We have to appreciate sometimes we're being, we're encountering something. We're not right. We're not just right in the position to take it in, and yet we know we should. We know it's important. So we have to find a personal connection. A sense of clarity arises when we connect 
when we dive into something and we open up. I think one way is relationship with suffering, certainly where the Buddha started. And when we see it in ourselves and around us, we can begin to make real the practice as something alive in us that's addressing something that's not just a value, but that shapes our life. And so as we study and sit, we begin to become submerged in the teachings so that they sink into us and become us. There's a powerful effect when we're connected in this way to the desire to address suffering, to the desire to awaken. Dogen points to this in a very famous passage, pointing to this koan. He said, this enlightened life is abundantly inherent in each of us. Nevertheless, without practice, it will not be revealed. And without enlightenment, it will not be realized. So it's already present, abundantly, in each of us. And we already know, for those of us in this hall, without practice it will not be revealed. And without enlightenment, it will not be realized as our own body and mind. Out of the intimacy that Zazen brings forth, an intimacy with our entire self, our intimacy with the subtle pains and distances that we create between ourself and out there, even though there's no out there out there. But that's the distance. Given that, there can arise a willingness out of practice, out of intimacy, out of zazen, to go where we're not able or willing to go before. And that's kind of an unfolding of the practice. And you can see that in Sashin. Just consider your mind at the first day, and your mind at the third day, and your mind at the fifth day. Certainly, in the people I see in Daisan, it's obvious the difference as the session goes on where people are and how much quieter and thus how much more able they are to go deep within themselves. That applies to me as well, obviously. And although we know and trust that all beings, inanimate, sentient alike, have Buddha nature, that we have Buddha nature. The living experience of this enlightened life has to be entwined in our bones. In other words, we have to be dedicated to it. 
It has to be not just important to us, but primary to us. And we all have very specific lives, a specific context that we've, for the most part, shaped, given the circumstances of our life. And yet, for all of us, for any of us, this enlightened life can be entwined to our bones. And we can work our life in such a way to help us awaken. The practice of realization that Dogen is pointing at includes understanding the Dharma from any experience or place within our life. So this is actually the second, maybe the third time I'm saying this in this talk. That there's no place we can't practice, no circumstance we can't practice. We may or may not have that willingness at that moment. And so from a selfless perspective, and also when our self comes forth within suffering, and also at any other time and place, we can practice. We can. And this is what we're doing here and now. The practice of seeing into our points of view and where our view arises from and seeing what our view is based on. Not so much psychologically, that that may be helpful, but where it most fundamentally rests on our view. Where does it actually rest on? Where does our fear rest on? Where does our desire to awaken rest on? Where does our confusion rest on? Where in this wonder of this Dharma is practice and realization not available to us? Is there some special mind state that we need to have? Is there some special circumstance that needs to be set up and encouraged in order to awaken? Well, yes and no. Maybe. Having encountered the teachings, having entered this Dharma practice with a clear intent of addressing suffering, of awakening, or however you understand your practice and what that's about. The doorway to practice is before us. That's our inherent Buddha nature. That's it. It's always before us. It can never not be before us. And it's interesting to me that even when I'm sound asleep in my life, with no sign of awareness, just my self-centeredness to hold me in my self-centeredness, this also is an opportunity 
to see how asleep I am or have been. Even if it occurs minutes or hours or years later. Perhaps you've had the experience of receiving a teaching, intended or not. And and then years later, oh, that's what she meant. Oh, oh. (laughs) But here we are, seeing it now. The opportunity is always present. Time just not, does not just flow in one direction. Karma does not just flow in one direction. And karmically, there are no wasted moments. Every bit counts. I was thinking of getting a bumper sticker that said, Bodhicitta rules. That's at the bottom of this. That's it. Now, we may obsessively demand more of ourselves and use our anxieties and fears to create judgments about ourselves and perhaps others. But the desire to awaken, when directed towards our present life circumstance, towards practice, inherently, that desire inherently creates the karma of realization. That desire in and of itself does that. It's not enough, but it's a firm start. It's the foundation. We don't know when or even if it'll manifest in our lifetime in the way we envision. Probably not in the way we envision. But at least speaking out of my own experience and my own practice of these three treasures that we sit in the midst of. It does manifest in a manner that ultimately brings treasure to our life. It seems to me that we want to awaken and cultivate that and act on that, whatever the specific circumstances of our life are, it does bring treasure to our life. I think it has to. Now, that doesn't mean the particular circumstances of our life are going to turn to some imagined reward, a place of fulfillment. Life will bring what it brings. And yet, a willingness and ability to practice what it brings is the treasure. And I don't think it's helpful when we view our practice and view our zazen on a pass-fail basis because I think usually that takes us to a place that we can never pass. We can never do good enough if we have some idea, some projection. 
some sense of what we demand as our desire. This koan is pointing at our inherent nature as it is to be realized by the process of non-attainment. There's a process of non-attaining. Realization on one hand, non-attainment on the other. There's definitely realization. And yet what is realized is simply our whole body, our whole mind, our whole body and mind, not limited by our body and mind. What is realized has always been fully present. How fully present? It's just you. It's always been just you. There's nothing else. Your whole body and mind. This being so, Maizumi Roshi says, realizing this, you yourself will become a torch, the light beyond light. Being so, he says, you will find no door at all at which to knock, nor any door to be opened. Why not? Realizing your whole body and mind, where would you find a door? Where would you find a place outside yourself to knock? So, Yamato Roshi wrote a prologue to this koan. He says, what is the difference between striking the gravel and sitting in silence? If you grasp the true word, you realize that such action is, that each action is essentially the world itself, just sitting. This exhausts it completely. Nothing to be attached to. But Maha Kashapa hit the gravel and told the others to look. Some commentaries say, if you clearly see that, that this is, this, is the Dharm, this is the Dharma king's Dharma. Sometimes the translation says Dharma king. Another translation says, look clearly. And Yamato Roshi says, I'd like to take the latter. Like this. This is it. Nothing more. I would say that's already too much. And I appreciate the irony of me giving a talk on this particular koan, which is about the Buddha taking the seat and sitting in silence. I don't quite have the nerve to do that. So what is the difference between striking the gravel and sitting in silence? Clearly, within the world of differences, there is a difference. If you are alive in this true world, you realize that each action is the world itself. Just sitting. This exhausts it. 
completely. There's nothing to be attached to. Alive in the true world. How is this? What is this? In your zazen, just sitting. Just sitting. Nothing else. No attachments to it. No pushing anything away. Just sitting. Just within your practice. Inhalation, exhalation. This moment. The koan. Again, I could say just this, and again, that's too much. What would your zazen look like if you just sat? To trust the stillness that Hojin Sensei spoke of in the opening remarks of the session, to deeply trust that. You have to let go of something which isn't even visible to us most of the time, and yet becomes visible when we just sit. Because you may find that you can't just sit without meticulous attention and awareness so that whatever thought or feeling or emotion or creation comes before you, that you can see that so clearly. You can see it so clearly that as it begins to form, it tinkles away into dust. That's possible to do, to see, to be that clear in that moment. Just sitting. And we can do that because that is the truth of who we are. That's what remains when we forget ourselves. When we encounter our true self. One day the world-honored one ascended to the teaching seat I selected this version from Daito Roshi's 300 koan, Shobogenzo, because of his footnotes. So his footnote says, what for? Is this something to be imparted? Well, clearly, I think we can understand that there's nothing to be imparted. Yet how do we find the support and the helpful direction for this to be our own understanding? We need that. The Buddha, knowing there's nothing to impart, still does ascend to the teaching seat. He knows this. Yet he still takes the seat. Mahakashapa struck the table 
with the gravel and said, the world-honored one has just expounded the Dharma. Mahakashapa's statement is the traditional closing statement that was offered after the Buddha gave a talk. And by the way, some translations have Manjusri pounding the table instead of Mahakashapa. We know Mahakashapa was the attendant to the Buddha. But did we know he's also the attendant to each one of us in the Zendo? Do we know that? Do we know he's attending right now? Attending you, serving you? Daito Roshi comments, before a word is spoken, he understands. Mahakashapa understands. Before a word is spoken. I would say before, after, and during. Word or no word being spoken. Do you understand? Therefore, the world-honored one descended the t- from the teaching seat. Daddy Roshi says, ascending and descending in a thousand assemblies. Still, there's only one who got it. The one who got it. What about that one? Where is that one? Is the one who got it here? There's a subtlety there. Don't be fooled by Dido's trap. It reminds me, uh, I guess I was about 13, with uh, all of the accoutrements that a 13-year-old boy who's, who's a 13-year-old boy uh, has. Um, and I went to see the film Spartacus. Perhaps you've seen it. And Spartacus, as you probably know, leads a rebellion of slaves in the Roman Empire. And uh, it doesn't turn out well, almost, but not quite. And he's, the army in Spartacus is finally captured. Uh, but, and they're trying to find Spartacus within the thousands of captured slaves. But he's just sitting there amidst, it's Kurt Douglas, amidst, I mean, everybody would recognize Kurt Douglas. But anyway, <laughs> um, he's sitting there amidst the soldiers. And finally, the Roman says, if Spartacus does not state who he is, then all of you will be crucified. So Spartacus stands up and says, I'm Spartacus. And the whole army stands up and says, I'm Spartacus. Which is the one who got it? Daito Roshi in his commentary says, while the world-honored one is still settling in a seat, Mahakashapa steps in and precipitates the whole matter. So the world-honored one 
descends from his seat. If at the time there had been a live one among the assembly, the hoax would have been revealed. What hoax? What's the hoax? He goes on, he says, There are some who think the meaning of this case lies in the world on at one's silence, or is taking the high seat. Nothing could be further from the truth. There are others that look to the striking of the mallet on the table to understand. This, too, misses it completely. The dharma is not to be found in ascending the seat, striking the mallet, Mahakashapa's speech, or the world-honored one's silence. If you can see into it here, you have seen into the hoax. Do... Do you wish to see into this hoax for yourself? And if you think you know the hoax, you also have missed it. Zazen is both the way of seeing and the seeing itself. There is no knowing here. From another perspective, how can there even be a hoax? The whole thing is wide open for you to see. Always. That being so, where do you find yourself? Tenkei Denson, speaking of this koan, says, the action of taking the high seat does not mean there's anything to teach. It's inexpressible. Mahakashapa saw, saw where it was. The teaching of the master of teaching is entirely like this, with nothing whatsoever to explain. The Buddha immediately got down from the seat Because if you try and take the advantage, instead you don't get it. I really hope I'm not trying to take the advantage. (laughs) So Daito sums it up with this verse. A single path of spiritual light. From the beginning, nothing is hidden. Subtly communicated without effort. At once, the spring breeze opens a thousand blossoms. We sit here, and our Buddha nature holds us in loving support, is us. Yet we do have to sit here. And in doing so, A single path of spiritual light subtly communicates without effort. In the falling leaves of the autumn leaf, autumn wind, this sender was blossoming.
Let's do our very best to respect our practice of without effort. Giving our life our very best on one hand. Giving our very best on one hand. Without effort on the other. Where do we find ourselves? Thanks for listening. You can find more Dharma Talks, interviews, and events at zmm.org media. While online, please check out the Jizo Project, our multifaceted initiative to make Zen Mountain Monastery more accessible and welcoming to all. Learn about the new Jizo House building and accessibility enhancements to existing facilities that are just two aspects to this exciting endeavor. Find out more and see how you can get involved at zmm.org slash Project. That's J-I-Z-O-P-R-O-J-E-C-T.